nice to have Peter back, isn't it? How was Las Vegas? Did you win a lot of money? Oh. Speaking of winning money, I was playing cards with two of my grandchildren this week. I needed a little spending money. So I'm teaching them how to play Go Fish, which is always when you're, when you're five and seven, Go Fish is just a blast. We call it, when you, you know in Go Fish, when you get four cards, what do you call that? A book. Who said that? Very good. You get a book. Well, we decided we would call it a bookage because it sounds more like gambling. And I needed their money. No, we just, that's just what I, so, I, so when they get one, they get so all excited and they go, ooh, I got a bookage. So we're getting ready to start the game. They're, they're fighting over who gets to go first. It doesn't matter because I cheat and let them, like they get seven, eight bookages, I get zero. Every, somehow one gets eight, one gets five. And somehow every time I get zero, we're playing the other day and my Ella, the oldest one, said, Grandy, you're just not very good. It's hard. So we're getting ready to play the other day and, and they're fighting over who gets to go first. So I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Granny's going to shuffle. And they're really fascinated about, you know how you shuffle cards and you go, they said, teach us how to go. And I said, I'm sorry, you, I can't teach. And, and anyway, so we're getting ready to start. And I said, here's what we're going to do. Granny's going to shuffle the cards. And I'm going to give each of you a card. And whoever gets the highest card gets to go first this game. And then the other one will go first the next game. And they thought for a minute. And they said, okay. And Emerson, the five-year-old, leans over to me and says, give me a seven and give Ella a two. And I said, all right, you're learning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. I would encourage you to get your own Bible and, and your own personal study Bible for a lot of reasons, but I think it's just uh, it's very helpful to you as a believer just to have your own. And, and I write in mine, the one I, I keep at home or on my desk at home, and just all kinds of stuff I've been writing in there for 30 years. It's really interesting. You'll be reading a, a passage, and you'll come upon something you wrote in there, thir again, 30 years ago, and it'll, it'll remind you of something. To, really, it's very good. Now, I want to encourage you, if you're available at 9.30 on Sunday mornings and you're not helping out and you're not doing anything and you can get here, I'm doing my Bible study in here, in this room. I stand right there. Can't see very well, but I stand right there at 9.30. And I think you were, we're studying the book of Hebrews. And when I study a book of the Bible, uh, we do it in depth. doesn't give it enough uh, uh, cachet. I just wanted to say that word. I don't even know what it means. But I thought, I need some cachet, so I'm going to say it. But I get, I get a ton out of it just preparing and studying, and I think you would, uh, if you're not in a Bible study, systematic, uh, every believer needs to be in one. If you're not, at 9.30 on Sunday morning right here, we also have a ladies group that meets right across the street over here. So as an adult, you need to be in somatic Bible study. All right, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. I'm being visited by my semi-annual sinus infection. I told my class this morning at 9.30, I've discovered something theologians have searched for for years, what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, a sinus infection. You can now go tell everybody you know something no one else knows. And it's a lie, but it doesn't make any difference. Could have been that, right? But probably not. But it doesn't matter. It's my thorn in the flesh. I get it twice a year, so I apologize for my voice in advance, and I'll be eating cough drops as we go through this, but hopefully we'll, we'll get through it. All right, last week, we began to look at this passage where Jesus is sharing these two incredible metaphors for his church, his followers. We talked about last week, he says to us, you are salt. And what that meant, that he wanted us to be a preservative and, and to prevent moral decay as we presented the gospel. This week, we're going to talk about the fact Jesus says to us, if you'll look at Matthew 5 and verse 14, you, Jesus is speaking. You know how I know that? You have a really good Bible, it's in red, I'll tell you now. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and they put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, wait a minute. Go back to verse 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Well, I read over in John 12 that Jesus said what? I am the light of the world. I'm confused. Of course, you knew that already. What, is, what in the world, pardon the pun, is Jesus saying by saying to us, to them, to us, you are the light of the world? And before we get through today, I hope you really understand this metaphor. Because if you really do, what it, do will, it will do for you is elevate you to where you just kind of float across the ground. Where you realize this is an incredible opportunity and privilege that Jesus Christ has given me individually and us corporately to reflect him, to be the light of the world. So I want us to walk through that. I was reading a story this week about a little boy who was in church with his mom. And they were in one of these, these uh, old churches and beautiful, some beautiful churches around the world, you see, had stained glass windows. And the sunlight was coming through. And, and the stained glass windows in their church, they had people's faces. And the little boy asked his mom, he said, Mom, who are, who are the people in the windows? Who are the faces in the windows? The light was coming through. And his mom said, those are the saints of the church. The little boy thought for a while and he goes, oh, I know what a saint is. A saint is somebody that lets the light in. And I thought, wow, that's good. Because the Bible says every believer is a saint. When we invite Jesus Christ into our life and we're born again, we have the light of the world inside us. The Holy Spirit comes and takes a residence in our lives individually and corporately. And Jesus says, now you get an opportunity to let people see the light. Years ago, and even now, every now and you hear it say, when somebody gets religion, is to say, or they come to faith in Jesus Christ, to say, he's the light. I saw the light. See, light spells darkness. We're all as sinners. We're in the dark. Be set free. That's why Jesus Christ came. So we're going to talk about some of that. Robbie Zacharias. How many of you know who that is? If you don't, you need to Google this guy. Do whatever you got to do. Find out who he is. I, if you could find anything by Ravi Zacharias, and that's R-A-V-I. His website is R-Z-I-M.org. If you could find anything by this guy, you need to get it and read it. He is an incredible mind and a true messenger of truth for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our age. He's a Christian philosopher, and everything he writes, absolutely brilliant. I'm reading his latest book right now, and it is incredible. In his book, entitled, Has Christianity Failed You?, Zacharias goes about, he's talking about proofs for the truth of Jesus Christ and how it changes lives. writes these words, During the course of nearly 40 years, I have traveled to virtually every continent, and seen or heard some of the most amazing testimonies of God's intervention in the most extreme circumstances. I've seen hardened criminals touched by the message of Jesus Christ and their hearts turned toward good in a way that no amount of, of rehabilitation could have accomplished. I have seen ardent followers of radical belief systems turn from being violent, brutal terrorists to becoming mild, tender-hearted followers of Jesus Christ. I've seen nations where the gospel banned and silenced by governments has nevertheless conquered the ethos and mindset of an entire culture. And then he goes about giving examples. And I want to just give you two of the examples and then we're going to move on. He talks about a British author, A.N. Wilson, who was known for writing his scathing attacks as a skeptic of Christianity, not a believer. And he, and he wrote these, as Zacharias terms them, scathing attacks on Christianity. On Easter 2009, three years ago, A.N. Wilson celebrated the resurrection of Christ because he had been a Christian. And here's what he wrote, A.N. Wilson. My own return to faith has surprised none more than myself. My belief has come about in large measure because of the lives and the examples of people I have known. Not the famous, not saints, but friends and relations who have lived and faced death in light of the resurrection story or in the quiet acceptance that they have a future after they die. 
Notice the title of today's message. What is it? This little light of mine. How many of you went to VBS when you were a kid? You sang that song. This little light of mine, what am I going to do with it? What am I not going to do with it? I'm not going to hide it under a bush. I'm going to let this little light of mine shine. Let me, if you miss everything else I say today, get this. If you're born again, you have a light. Let it shine. Alistair Begg, who's a great teacher of the Word of God, recently put it this way. He said, if you can't shine, at least twinkle. At least twinkle. You, if you're born again, you were saved by Jesus Christ to shine, to let the light out. Let people see the light of the gospel within. And your little light is just as important as that of Ravi Zacharias, Alistair Begg, Billy Graham, or any other great teacher of the word of God that you could think of or evangelist or some people, again, the mindset that they're saints. No, if you're born again, you're a saint. And God has placed you where you are to shine for him right there, right now. You have a light and your little light is important. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist. If you're still here and you're a Christian and God has something for you, your light needs to shine. Webster defines light this way. Light is that which makes it possible to see. Everyone around you, if they're lost, if they do not know Jesus Christ, they don't understand love, they don't understand life, they don't understand meaning, purpose, hope, peace, security. Think about that. And you as a Christian know all those things. You know, I don't care how much money they have, you as a Christian have the light within that will answer every burning, genuine desire anybody around you has because Jesus Christ is the Bible says God is light. So many different things that that means. Three things I just want to hit on, then we're going to get into this. One is intellectually. The more you learn about God, the more light that comes into your life. You begin to understand what the universe is about, what life is about, what a deity is about, where we came from, who we are, why we're here. Morally, God is light. The more you become like God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, become more like God through the purity of your life and living as a Christian, more light reflect. And physically in your life, what you do, your very being, is an opportunity to glorify God and let the light within shine. Give me a quick example. Move on. On our planet that we live on, this little rock called Earth, what are the two entities in the sky that illuminate the Earth? I know this is hard for you, but think for a moment. One is the sun, very good, and the other is the moon. Now, in reality, and this is science, so y'all need to hang on, keep up. In reality, both you look up at the sky at night, you see the moon. You see moonlight, correct? Look up at the sky during the day, you see sun, that's sunlight, correct? Where does the moon get its light? Where? So there's really how many sources of light? It's only one. Well, we look at it as two. So the best understanding for me, physically, as a visual aid is, the moon is simply doing what? Reflecting sunlight. You are reflecting the light. There's only one true source of light. It's Jesus Christ. He lights every man coming in the world, John wrote in John chapter 1. He is the light, but he gives you the privilege of reflecting that light. John the Baptist put it this way. He says, I am not that light. I came to bear witness of that light. It's an absolutely beautiful picture in Greek. What he says is, I'm not the light, but I'm a lamp that reflects the light. If you have a lamp in your bedroom, unless you turn it on, of what use is it? None. But when you turn it on, what does it do? It reflects outward and illuminates the space and where, where it is as a lamp, reflecting the light within. You, Jesus said, I didn't say it, he did. You are the light of the world, and we reflect truth that was within us. Look on your outline in Psalm 119. Your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple.
glad it does because that's me. One of the reasons this is such a passion of mine that believers get in Bible study and learn the Word of God, you can't be reflecting the light properly unless you do. You want to go beyond twinkling to just blowing people away with your light. And the only way you're going to do that is by getting God's Word to you. Get the Word into you and then get it out of you. Reflect the light that is within. If you want to be more like Jesus Christ, you need to find out what He said, what He taught, who He was. And by the way, you could find that in the Old Testament as well as the New. You need to study the Bible, not just read it. You need to internalize it so then you can reflect it. The more you become like Christ, the more people will see that and be drawn to it. And you will not become more like Jesus Christ if you do not get in the Word of God. You just can't. It's the reason God gave it. It's the manual. So let's begin to look at this, the power of this light. Let's start there. You are the light of the world. You're a lamp reflecting the light that's within. Paul put it this way. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, face of Jesus Christ. The power of this light. Number one. We're going to go through these quickly. It dispels darkness. Dispels darkness. We talked a little bit about this already. Darkness is simply defined as the absence of light. The absence of light. The smallest light in the greatest darkness makes a credible difference. I've told this story many times. So I won't tell the whole thing. Have you ever been in a cave? I'm talking about a cave cave, and I'm claustrophobic. Have you ever been in a cave cave where there, were no, where there was no light? No light, and suddenly they, maybe you have flashlights or lanterns or whatever. Suddenly everything is turned off. What can you see? You can't even do that. Now, if you're in that situation, I've told the story before with my son. We took them. They were like, great. We tripped. I forgot where we were staying, but there was like 100 in this cave. We were touring. We were going to spend the night. My son was cool. He was 12. And everybody know that daddy, first thing he said to me, dad, it's trip. You're not my dad. All right, don't ask for any money. He said, I got that from mom. All right. So I stayed away from him. I got nowhere near him. You know, I let him be cool. He's great. He's seventh grade, whatever it was. It's cool. So we're in this cave. And we're all having a good time. And, and um, then it came time to go to bed. They lay out the visqueen. We lay out our sleeping bags. We're all laying down. They had lights, the cave. I mean, they tour. They, you know, they know what they're doing. Suddenly, they said, all right, lights out. And boom, you can't see anything. And I feel this body bump up against me. Dad, you. So me, in my inimitable way, I went, Andy. A little louder than that. Kind of echoes in the cave. I said, are you all right, son? Are you crying? And he's like, Dad, please, please. Well, I'm telling you, have you ever been in that situation? What's the one thing? Let's say you're trapped in a cave like that, and it's that dark. What's the one thing you want? Even if it's a match, why do you want that light? Because it lets you at least spell the dark long enough to figure what? Do you understand when you got saved, the Bible says you called out of darkness, marvelous. What did God do for you? He showed you out, all kinds of things. He showed you out. He showed you how desperately you needed a way out. He showed you how much he loves you what your future is, but maybe more than anything else kind of spelled the dark. Everybody you know, your sphere of influence, your little light shines. If they're not born again, living in the dark, they may not know it. But for example, ask them this, what if you died today? But see, if you know Christ, you're not scared to die because you know what? Going home. You know the light of the world. You know where you're going after the body. You know. You're not living in darkness. You're living in the marvelous light. And Jesus said, they need to see that. As you reflect it, if you're in the dark, what's the one thing you want? Light. So if those people are living in dark at some point, they're going to want light. And they're going to be drawn to you. Why? Because you got light. You have the light. If you're in a cave, 20 or 30 of you in pitch black, and you're the guy with the flashlight, what do you suddenly become? A dog. You're important. Because you got the light. You have the light. Secondly, light defeats death. The ancient Greeks would look at spring, and they didn't understand new life, you know, flowers blooming, all the new life was just springing up, spring. And so the way they always did in that culture, they created a goddess for that. And what they said was the goddess was walking around, and every place you went, shedding light would grow. 
What do we know? Again, back to science, really interesting. God literally designed the orbit of the earth that when you need the most sunlight, where's the earth? It's the closest to it. And we think that accidents kind of happen. For example, in your yard or any plant, Mary and I have an incredible gift. You put a plant in our presence, you kill it. Doesn't matter how healthy it is, we can kill crepe myrtles. We can kill anything. But what does a plant need to survive? Well, now we're going to do photosynthesis. I do it all. It needs light and it needs water. By the way, who gave us those things? God designed it. Even spring is a picture of being born again. New life. Springing up out of a dead ground. Jesus talked about it this way. If something new is going to arise, you have to plant a seed, and the seed has to do He had to die. be raised from that you, living in death, be what? New life in Christ. Light is death. Light, light guides Guide safety. We talked about this. It's logical. Again, if you cave, you want out, you want to be safe, get out. You know the path. Saw the Psalm throughout the Bible. It's a theme throughout the Bible. Light guides you to safety. The Bible talks about the Lord being our refuge. You can go and know the safe. Again, we're saved clearly. Light comforts the hurting. Talked about that a little bit. Every funeral I do, I read a passage, 2 Corinthians 1, describes God this way. It says, Our Father is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in the midst of our tribulation so that we can comfort others who need comforting in their time. You see, if you're a Christian, you know the light. You can put your arm around somebody, maybe a total stranger that you know is hurting, and say what to them? I love you. How can I pray for you? The way I met my next-door neighbor, she's now there by herself. Her husband killed, tragic, burned to death. The way I met my neighbor, I mean, I said hello to the husband, talked, but I never really met his wife. It's the day he got killed, I went over, kind of, we'd met, but didn't, we'd never talk. And I said, you know how I can pray for you? And now friend talk, lives there by herself. I can't do anything. I can watch. And then I can go find somebody. Like Mary said, needs a man. She should go find somebody to fix. Call, your, call our son-in-law. But she knows that I care about her. And all I ever did was go over and say, how can I? You see, light, you look at people that are hurting because you know you hurt. You hurt. And you want to comfort. You want to say, how can I be there for you? They don't forget. They know. And maybe it's an opportunity you could tell them about the light. It comforts. And then maybe my favorite is that light colors life. Now, here's some science really going to enjoy. Did you know there's no such thing as color? Somebody knows that. See, I love to learn. The day you stop learning is the day you die. Quote All right. Light is actually energy in varying wavelengths. Write this down. You are taking notes. And they comprise all the colors of the spectrum. So when light hits an object, it's either absorbed or reflected. If you absorb all the light, what do you look like? You're black. If you reflect all the light, you are white. So if you absorb all the colors of the spectrum when that light hits except blue, you appear to be blue. I thought this was cool. But it's also a picture of what God wants us to understand. Without light, we wouldn't know color. The world would be a drab, dark place. But what's a Christian? In the midst of a dark, drab world. Or a spot of beauty. There is something else out there. I have hope. I talked about this. I have, security. I have serenity. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Because it's not what you Most people, what they think Chant is, that's not. They've gotten a wrong idea somewhere along the line. Usually in church, somewhere. Or from somebody who they were a Christian. Or some knucklehead on TV. Or some politician who claimed to be a Christian. Live that. They've got the wrong idea. So God places you a beautiful spot, color, wherever you might be, to enlighten the color of light. So, all right, quickly, let's look at the place for the light. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So two things Jesus wants us to understand for the places for this light. Number one, as a city. In our community. Now realize community, just hang with me. As a city in our community, Jesus is saying two things here, and I want us to make sure we get both. Number one, as a group, as a church, as a city, he places us in a community. 
to be different, to make a difference. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's an interesting metaphor. Jesus is obviously the master of all teaching, all metaphors. But I love this one. The villages and the towns or cities of that day were built of limestone, beautiful white rock. They were built on hilltops. You could see them for miles. They were actually used as travel points. You could see a village, okay, I'm, I'm headed there. The light in the windows of the cities at night could not be missed. You can see that's where I'm going. That's where we're headed. They were essential for travelers. What's the principle? The church, God places the local church on a hill, metaphorically, be seen by people going through the world, looking direction, looking something. We're to be the light drawn to. We're to be different. We're to be salt. We talked about last week in our community, a moral preservative, so they could see there's a different way to live. So we don't light our light as a city and then turn it off. What do we want? We want it lit up. Why? So while they're traveling through life, they could see us. Say, okay, there it is. I'm headed in the right direction. We're a city. But secondly, we're also a candle in our community. He says you wouldn't logically, note what Jesus said. He used the term candle, but actually it's been like an oil lamp. Jesus says you don't light an oil lamp and then do what with it? Cover it up. Now even I got this one. Why would you light a candle and then cover it up? Is that logical? Of course not. You light it, why? To use it, for it to be seen, or a lamp, either one. You light it so you can carry it around, so you can see where you're going. Why did God save you? So you could hide your light? No, so people could what? See it. You don't light it and then cover it up. The purpose of a lamp is what he's talking about here. You put it on a lampstand. What's the purpose of a lamp? Reflect light. Illuminate the area where it is. So Jesus said, as a group, you're a city. But you're also individual candles in that to reflect the lights with you are a lamp. All right, verse 16, and then we're through. Look at our purpose, purpose of the light. Let your light so, so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Number one, it's a witness to the lost. Let your light so shine before men that there's no doubt who you are. There's no doubt that Jesus is within you. And people who are living in the dark, they may reject it, but they can't deny that it exists because they see it in you. They see who you are. This idea of good works is not so much everything you do, but who you are. If they see it, and notice the response. The response is a witness to the Lord. They do what? Glorify the Father in heaven. I've told you this definition many times, but it really helped me when I first learned it. As a witness to the Lord, when Jesus says, glorify your Father in heaven, the word glorify means so that those people who see you will get a correct estimate of what God is worth. That's what the word means, correct estimate. Here's why that's important. Again, everybody you know that's living in darkness, they believe something about God, correct? Some believe that God is Allah. Some believe God is themselves. Some believe there is no God. So what is it incumbent upon us as Christians to do? To give them a correct estimate of what God is worth to us. Who is he? Who do we think he is? Then articulate that. Share truth. That's who we are as candles, lamps, reflecting the light. And it's who we are as a city, a local church, a witness. Get a correct estimate of the majesty of God. Notice the verses on your handout, Colossians 1. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us the kingdom, the son of his love. If nothing else, if God never did anything else but take you from darkness into the love of his of son, saved you, you ought to be telling people about that all the time. 
by your life and by your lips. Incredible principle. He took a lost man, me, and gave me life eternal. Ephesians, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. I'm going to give you two quick examples, and then we're going to close. These are both true stories. President of the United States, Woodrow Wilson, was in a barber shop one time. I love this illustration because it's a place we all go. Some of us spend less time in there than others, but at least we go. So he's in a barber shop, and he, and he said these words. This is a quote from Woodrow Wilson. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut, and he sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. Before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because of D.L. Moody. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbers. They talked in undertone. They didn't know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I had left that place as I should have left a place of worship. All D.L. Moody did was go in to get his hair cut. And while he was getting his hair cut, what did he do? He took a personal interest. That's pretty simple. He cared. Barbara wasn't just a guy cutting. It's the person that Jesus died for. And Moody, now we can all do that. That's pretty simple. One last example. Again, true story. Our senior and founding pastor, a man named John Latimer, one of his ancestors named Hugh Latimer. In 1555, Hugh Latimer and a man named Nicholas Ridley were about to be burned at stake because they were Christian. They had them tied to the stake and it ready to light fire their feet. Hugh Latimer turned to Nicholas Ridley and said these words, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never put out. And then they were killed. You never know. The simplicity of going to the barbershop, names like Hugh Latimer, Nicholas, and others that will. Jesus Christ said, will not prevail as lamps. Father, we thank you for Jesus. This is not just our choice of religion, but he is the light of the world. Well, Lord, what a privilege. He lets us be the light of the world by reflecting him. We are our lamps. Reflect the light within. What a privilege. I pray we would take it seriously and be excited about it, both as individuals and as Christ church. Lord, I just pray for someone in this room today that doesn't know the light, still in darkness. Yet at this moment, to say to just thank you for dying in my place. Please forgive me. Save me. I need light in my life. I need, need hope. And for those of us that are Christian, we would live excited about our faith. We pray in Jesus. Please stand as we sing.